Amen. Praise the Lord. And we certainly come right now, uh, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And we come in him and through him and by him this morning. And so may we turn to him and turn to God this morning as we pray again this morning. So let's pray together as we begin our turn to the word. Triune God, you are forever God Almighty. You are over all things. You have eternally existed as the Father, as the Son, as the Holy Spirit, and that is who you are. To understand you in any other way is not to know you and truly who you are as you have revealed yourself in your word. And so we come before you, the triune God, the triune God who has called us to the great commission to go and to make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so may we, this morning, as we come under your word that you have mercifully given, may you work in us, may you grow us as your disciples, and may we not for even a second flinch in seeking to go and make disciples of Christ. And so help us to take up the great commission and the charge you've given to us. You work in us this morning. We pray and even plead, Father, that you would revive us you would grow us. I'm not just talking about Haven. I'm talking about the church throughout the United States. Father, you can do that work. And we pray earnestly this morning that you would. It is our heart's cry that any apathy, any heart that is lax, any mind and life that is nominal, it would be a great repentance and turning of faith and trust to you through your son Jesus Christ, repenting unto your word. So Lord, may you work in us. And as we come this first Sunday of Advent, we come mindful that he came for us and he will come again. And we look forward to that day. And so we come and pray, Father, that you would be with us now as we open our Bibles and turn to your word. May you work. May your spirit illuminate your word and may you speak and change every one of us this morning whether that means for salvation or sanctification, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, and we'll be walking through the next chapter here in the Gospel of John and the next chapter in our study as we have been walking through this really world-shaking gospel, which is exactly what it is. Now, last week, 
We finished chapter 9, and so we're pressing right on into the next chapter here, which as you'll see, it only presses us really uh, in deeper in considering the powerful work of God that we saw from chapter 9, where Jesus, he didn't only heal a man born blind, but he brought this man who was spiritually blind and spiritually dead, he brought that man life and true sight for the first time in his life in the midst of his spiritual blindness and spiritual deadness. So we praise the Lord as we walk through that chapter these last few weeks. And now this morning we'll see the good shepherd who calls out his sheep and they follow him. And so let's read here beginning in verse 1 of chapter 10 of the Gospel of John. So may God bless the reading of his true and good word this morning. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold, must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. And so there'll be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. And there was again a division among the Jews because of these words. And many of them said, well, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? And others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. 
Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So here we come to these memorable and picturesque verses of John chapter 10. Now, you may be here and you have you know, heard these verses many times. Maybe you were taught them as a child. Maybe you, know, you uh, heard it or studied it through at the VBS at some point in your life. I know I personally never was in VBS as a child because I didn't know Christ. I never really even knew anything about VBS until I became a Christian and uh, called to the ministry. And then I myself would come and teach on John chapter 10 out of VBS as well. And so maybe you've heard it there, or maybe you've heard it in a sermon or many sermons along the way. Or maybe you're here and you have, or online, and you have never heard these verses before. First time you've heard them. And so hopefully this morning, wherever you are in that, God will work in your heart this morning. And so before I press forward any further, though, into this chapter um, that we're entering into here, so we are here entering into a new chapter, but not a new chapter. Okay, I don't, might not make sense at all, but let me explain. So there has been some debate over how these verses are connected and really whether they are connected at all to the previous ones. Now, uh, this isn't as strange as, that, as it may sound, especially you know if you've heard this passage preached or taught before, that these verses are connected. Uh, it may sound strange if I say something like that, but let me go further. So let me make plain here an important contextual link. The passage is linked to what just came before it. Now, I know over the years and hearing preachers preach that oftentimes, I'm sure it's just John chapter 10 that you're hearing preached, but in light of the Gospel of John, it was intended that this would be seen in light of what we just walked through in John chapter 9. So let me explain even more. So remember here that our Bibles, they did not originally have all of these titles in them, right? They didn't have the chapter divisions. They didn't have all of the verse numbers. And so if you simply look there at John 9, 41, and then at John 10, 1, there is no transitional phrase between that verse and John 10, 1. So it would read something like this. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. And it goes on. You see how there's no break there? Usually in John, you see some sort of transitional kind of phrase that would kind of take you right into another emphasis. And so, as students of the Bible, seeing that that by itself should cause us to ask, how or are these section verses related? No transitional words. And is there evidence that they would be related? And my answer is yes. 
So here in John chapter 10, it still has the man born blind and the religious leaders in mind as we go into these verses. And we see this rather directly in verse 21. So as the Jews, they divided over, you know, Jesus's words. Some were saying, you know, he has a demon. You know, he is insane. And let me just pause there and say, demons are real. We live in God's universe where angels and demons really exist. And so just hear that. It's true. This isn't a crazy statement here. And so they say that, and others say, verse 21, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so we're seeing then that still in mind in John chapter 10 is exactly what happened in John chapter 9. It's not like they went away and went to a new kind of thing going on. And forgot all about that. They're still in that context. You, hey, how can you do that that we just we've just been talking about and seeing? And so everything from John chapter nine is uh, John chapter nine is still in mind and is still to be in our minds as we read these verses in John ten. So with that said, the structure here is rather simple, and I'm giving the structure because I'm not going to just kind of preach through it like straight through all the verses. I'm going to kind of go a number of places and showing you things here. And so Jesus, he gives his illustration of sheep and shepherds in verses one through six. And then he expands upon those verses in verses seven through 18. Now, you could get confused here. He's not expanding on them in exactly a one for one kind of thing. Like, when he says he's the door, but then you see in verse 3, to him the gatekeeper opens, uh, or verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, to him the gatekeeper opens. Well, wait a minute, if Jesus is the door and he's the good shepherd, how does that work, you know, logistically and logically? Well, this is, this is why it's not like a one-for-one one kind of thing. You shouldn't be looking for the exact parallels in both here, but he's drawing kind of big points from it and illustrating each of those points. And that's something of what I'm going to do here this morning. And we'll do that first by looking at what Jesus is not like, and then by looking at what Jesus, or who Jesus is. So first, let's look at what Jesus is not like. So verses 1 through 13. I hope you're not confused and hopefully this won't confuse you more if you are, but overlaid on top of this context. So there's a lot in the Gospel of John. It's incredible how God is weaving together all of these themes and all these things that he has spoken in his word, throughout his word, to kind of bring to bear over all this gospel as we have seen already again and again and again. And so he's doing that again here. So overlaid on top of this context is a wide variety of Old Testament passages. I mean, you could, uh, you could just you know, type in in your ESV Bible app or whatever Bible app you may have. You just type in shepherd and you'll pull up all kinds of verses that have to do with shepherds. So there's a lot that is coming into here and even a background here that's coming to 
these verses, but overlaid on top of the context here, very specifically, is that of Ezekiel chapter 34. Very expressly and very specifically. Now, by itself, if you know what's going on in Ezekiel chapter 34, that chapter is an incredibly sobering chapter. God, he indicts the shepherds of Israel for their wickedness, for their shepherdless shepherding. And so he tells them there in Ezekiel 34, 4 through 5 and verse 6 too, he says, The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. And so they were scattered because they, there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. Verse 6, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Just a, a very sobering chapter. And that is very much what John chapter 10 is written in light of. And so that's going on. And chapter 9 is going on. And so right out of the gates of chapter 9, we see Jesus, what does he do? He brings his indictment against these shepherds, the religious leaders who are continually rejecting and blinded to his word. And not just that, what are they doing to the sheep? Casting them out. That's exactly what they did with this blind man. And they do that to others as well. And so these shepherds, like John 9, are not what Jesus is like. And that's what he's saying. I'm not like that. <laughs> blind man there, everyone else there. The blind man just got cast out of the synagogue. And he says, well, I am not like those guys. And so first, then, Jesus is not like the robbers. So verses 1 through 6 and verse 8 and 10 as well. So there in verses 1 through 6, we have our religious leaders, the thief, a robber who climbs in by another way. These, wanna, these, they want to waylay the sheep, even as they attempt to do with a man born blind, all right? Cast him out. Anyone who follows Jesus is going to be cast out of the synagogue. So they're strangers. And so what did the blind man born blind not do? He did not listen to them, <laughs> did he? But he followed the shepherd. And so Jesus, we see that. And then Jesus, he broadens the range of these Robbers to pretenders and false messiahs in verse 8 and 10. So he says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Like the blind man, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Verse 10. And so these, these people, 
They are fiends. They're not friends. Yet some even today treat them like friends, ones like these, like the religious leaders, even while they kill, steal, and destroy, leaving all variety of damage and havoc in their wake. And so their intent is satanic. And so they come in by another way. Not Jesus. It's something else. And so they promote a false doctrine with a kind of teethy smile. You ever encountered false teachers like that? Well, you know, you, you could go back in church history and look at people like Arius. The Arian heresy. Where he basically said there was a time when the son was not that Jesus is not God. Well, he was a mighty, powerful preacher, and he was very well liked in his day because he was a very good man. Yet, that heresy could lead people to hell forever. That's why I say preaching with a teethy smile, you know, false things to you. And so they promote a different Bible even as they quote from the very same Bible. And so they herald another Savior who is no Savior at all. And so these are dangerous people. These are those that Jude, he warns of in Jude 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God, our God, into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And this is not what Jesus is like. And then second, Jesus is not like the hired hands. So verses 12 to 13. So the hired hands, they kind of provide a general paradigm of another quality of a non-shepherd shepherd. So these hired hands are not the true shepherd. And, you know, there's no like indication, I mean, outside of them totally focusing on themselves, but in that day, there were hired hands who would tend to the sheep so they wouldn't in and of themselves be evil or wicked like the robbers and thieves would be. Not in the same like mind there. So we don't come to that. So they aren't evil in and of themselves. They had a job to do and saving the sheep in peril wasn't part of that job that was common in that day. They wouldn't have been surprised at this. They would have said, well, yeah, a hired hand isn't there to defend the sheep. They're just there to kind of tend the sheep. And so them running away, that makes sense. wasn't part of their job. And so they were hired to tend the sheep and not protect them. So who are the hired hands concerned with, though, when the wolf comes? Well, themselves. I didn't get paid for this, you know. I'm out of here. And so they, they care for you know, number one rather than saving the sheep. Their goal was not caring for the sheep primarily, it was money. 
And so they flee. While terrible things happen to those sheep. The wolf comes and devours and rips the sheep to pieces. And this is also not what Jesus is like. Now before you limit these shepherds to spiritual leaders only, which is right, we need to consider that too, but I want to press on you specifically and all of us here in our hearts and our minds and our lives and beware of qualities like these in yourself. Beware of qualities like these in yourself. Now, no doubt, I mean, spiritual leaders must surely take heed to what is being said here. Ezekiel 34, guarding against all variety of evils that may blur or even entirely divert shepherds from the business of their master. And even more positively, on the positive side, if you are a spiritual leader of the church, this is part of the duty of true shepherds to care for and to protect their sheep from wolves. We learn from Christ what true shepherds look like. So what, how are true shepherds to do this? Well, by holding firm to the trustworthy word as taught and so preaching and teaching God's word and sound doctrine and what rebuking those who contradict it. And that's right. That's not easy <laughs> for them to do that. Now, I think that you might have seen that image on Facebook or Twitter, you know, where there's this shepherd kind of leading his sheep and one of the, the sheep started attacking him, you know, and then he falls on the ground and the sheep goes this way and then it comes back and rams him real hard, you know. Yet he, he wants to care for the sheep and wants to protect the sheep. So it's not an easy thing to have to do this, but it is the calling of spiritual leaders to do this. Even if the sheep do that to the shepherd. But I said beware within yourself as well. And so these dangers here go beyond leaders also. Similar robber-like hired hand sort of character traits Motives or heart deviations may arise in you and in us as well. Friends, if we're honest and let's just be honest, following Christ is a battle. You do not have the corner on that battle. Like we need each other. There's not ever, there was never an intended that there would be a lone Christian ranger, you know? They could do it all themselves, you know? That's not the way God has made this. We, we need each other. We cannot do this without each other. There's no lone ranger Christian. So this is a battle, and we're all fighting it. And so you must wage war against 
sin and Satan and the world in your own hearts, in your own minds, and in your own lives. It is a fight. So what may these qualities look like in you? Well, it may look like the desire to harm fellow sheep through your words, through your actions, or through your ways. I mean, you don't have to think hard to think of a, a church where the church has been totally demolished by all those things right there. So we can't just say, well, that's not going to happen in me. So it may look like prioritizing yourself or something else above others. It's a prioritizing of yourself and your preferences above the body of Christ. So someone you know, may think of it this way. Hey, as long as I make it out of this okay, you know, I could care less about others. You know, I could care less about the church. I could care less about the body of Christ. While, you know, they're, when, they're, when they're in the midst of it all, then, yeah, community. Oh, yeah, the church. Oh, yeah, the body of Christ. But then when it becomes challenging, becomes hard, when conflict arises, which Jesus says it will. That's why we have Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, Galatians 6. And more, to deal with conflict, when that happens, they say, well, no, 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 I'm not going to deal with any of that. I mean, I am out of here because this is not okay for me. I could care less about the body of Christ, and I'll care more for myself and just go. So now we have seen here some enemies, right? And you will have enemies also. But learn from your enemies, but don't be the enemy yourself. Now in contrast to all of that, to what Jesus is not like, let's turn then to what Jesus is. So in contrast to the dishonorable shepherds of Ezekiel 34, so there in Ezekiel 34, if you kind of move along in it, we are told in Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16, that who will seek after the sheep himself? God will seek after his sheep himself, and he will make with them a covenant of peace. Hence, Jesus is that one seeking after the sheep, the sheep. He is that good shepherd that is not the religious leaders or shepherds in Ezekiel 34, but is God in Ezekiel 34 and is God among us here in John chapter 10. Well, so it is then that we see what Jesus is first here. He is the true shepherd. Verses 1 through 9. So Jesus, he is no robber. He is no thief or stranger. So while the sheep flee from the stranger's voice, they don't flee from Jesus. And so here we see the truth of John 6, 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast 
out. I'm not going to do what the religious leaders did to my sheep. The sheep know his voice and follow him, even as the man born blind refused to follow the stranger's voice and instead followed who? The true shepherd's voice. So even today, this is true of sheep and shepherds. Even when people try to, you know, even when they come and they try to imitate shepherds today, like they dress up like them, they may mask their voice. Even today, sheep's, sheep will flee from the stranger. Still, somehow, some way, recognizing that this isn't, this is not the shepherd I know. <laughs> and so they flee from him. And so while imposters may come, Jesus is the only true shepherd. He is the true door. It's through Christ salvation comes. It's through faith in Christ that you're saved. So verse 9b, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So he's not a false shepherd. He is the true shepherd and he is also the good shepherd. The good shepherd. And he tells us this plainly in verses 11 and 14. I am the good shepherd. And so as the good shepherd he knows his sheep. He knows his sheep. We can be certain that God he wants us to know the depths of the personal intimate nature of redemption. It says there in verse 3, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Which is exactly what we saw in John chapter 9, right? Even as he did with the man born blind, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Nine, chapter 9 verse 35, calling him out, by name, and he calls us out by name as well. So Jesus knows his own even before the foundation of the world. So Jesus, he says there in verses 14 and 15, I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. What an incredible statement. I mean, you're comparing, like, knowing us and, like, how the Father knows you and you know the Father? I mean, is that not incredible? What an intimate, personal statement of how much he knows you. And he knows us. Which we just simply must say to all that had glory. Wonderful. How can it be that he would know us in such a way as this? But he does. He knows us and we know him. And so it's fitting right here to ask, do you know him? Do you know the good shepherd? I mean, there can be no doubt. You either do know Christ or you don't know Christ. There isn't, there's not a middle ground here between the two. You either 
are his sheep or you aren't his sheep. And if you are, he knows you and you know him if you've put your faith and trust in him as your savior, treasure and all. And so, we'll come back to that, but another quality, another aspect of this that we see of this good shepherd, and as the good shepherd, his sheep follow him. His sheep follow him. So he calls them, and what do they do? Well, they, they follow. They come. They come to his call. His sheep hear and they follow. And the man, just like we saw in chapter 9, what did the man born blind do? He heard, he arose, and he followed Christ. While the Pharisees heard, arose, and they rejected Christ. They did not recognize his voice. And this remains true. We may stumble in all variety of ways, but the sheep follow their Savior. So in the, in the West, you know, shepherds, they may actually drive their sheep, you know, like the sheep dogs, and driving them onward. Well, in Jesus' day, Shepherds, and even today, there, you know, shepherds lead out their sheep. And so they call them on, and the sheep follow the shepherd. So the shepherds, they lead the way, protecting them, guarding them, nurturing them, and calling them onward. And it's the same way today. We follow him. And in following him, there is safety. In following him, there is safety. Even if that safety is in the midst of trials, persecutions, suffering, and death. Which is normal for Christians all around the world. But in following Christ, they are safe. So you can be going through all those things, but you're entirely untouched because you're following the Good Shepherd. Which leads us naturally then to see next also as the Good Shepherd, he lays down his life for his sheep. He lays down his life for his sheep. So contrary to the thief and to the hired hand, Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And so while robbers and imposters and hired hands either aim at hurting the sheep or fleeing from the sheep in the midst of danger, Jesus, what does he do? He stands directly in the path of danger and he protects them unto death. And so Jesus would stand in the path of God's judgment in our place. He would lay down his life as a sacrifice for our sin as our substitute. That's how much he cares for you. 
That's how much he loves his sheep. That's what he does for his sheep. And if that's what he does for his sheep, man, can we not trust him? Can we not say at every turn and every hurdle or every little rock and bump along the way, oh, that's the good shepherd I'm following. And he's still good. Not changed a bit. That's what he does. And so he gives his soul, whole self for the sheep. And he does all this to save them for their eternal good. So unlike the hired hands, Jesus does care for his sheep. And he cares for us so much that he gave himself up for us. Praise the Lord. You know, he did that willingly, and he did that sovereignly. Verse 17 and 18. This reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. Not Pilate, not the Jews, not the religious leaders. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. So even as they drive the nails into his hands and his feet, he is sovereignly, willingly, and purposefully there on that cross of his own accord. He could take himself down any moment, but he is there because he wants to be there. For you, for me, for the world. What a good shepherd. And so it is also that the good shepherd, he gives his sheep life and life evermore. He is no thief or robber that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He comes that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. It's not for destruction that he takes you up and he took you up. He came to bring you spiritual life, life eternal, and life as in joy, life as in vitality, life as in wholeness, life as in cared for, life as in provided for, life as in comforted and kept forever. What a wonderful life he gives. And at the same time, we need to say that. We also need to make an important qualification here that it isn't here for you to say then, okay, you know, that means that this life that he's talking about is a life full of couches and recliners. That's what Jesus is calling me to, right? Well, that's not what's meant here. The abundant life is sheep who begin by faith, live by faith, and risk by faith. That's why I think a lot of, a lot of us don't share the gospel with other people. It's too risky. We have, we have faith. We have true faith. We need to take our, our faith a step further, not knowing what's going to happen in that conversation, and risk 
for the sake of the gospel. As one of my favorite preachers, he says, Jesus didn't say, take up your cushion and follow me. He said, take up your cross and follow me. We don't have to wait until we're comfortable. We're unafraid. We'll never do it. We'll never do anything for the Lord. The righteous shall live by faith. We are to follow him now. We are to be taking up our cross as hard as it is now. And living by faith in our good and gloriously gracious shepherd. So it is that we have and we have seen here the one good redeeming shepherd. So verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So in Christ, Jews and Gentiles, the Gentiles, that's who he's referring to, those not of this fold, they find life through Christ. And I would imagine every one of us here is a Gentile. That right there is saying something about the love of God. In Christ, there's one flock, one people with one Savior. So how good he is. What a good shepherd do we not see here in John chapter 10. So fend off thieves, fend off robbers, fend off hired hands this morning, and look to the good, good shepherd. Look to the good, good Savior. And some of you may be wandering, so God is calling you this morning to return to the good shepherd. And some of you may be here and you might be weary. Well, Jesus is telling you, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he will. And some of you might be lost and unsaved. What life there is for you if you only look to the one true good shepherd who laid down his life for you. And he now, now calls you to repent of sin and self and believe and follow him. So let's follow him this morning. Let's pray. God, how overwhelming it is, how glorious it is, how wonderful it is to see how good you are and how good you have been and how gracious you have been to every single one of us. What a wonderful Savior. So, Father, we pray this morning that help us, Lord, not a one of us would leave here without examining ourselves and not doing that kind of surface level stuff but the heart work that is very very difficult but you discipline your children because you love them 
So may we embrace the discipline this morning. And if there's those here who don't know Christ, may you help them even now to respond by trusting in your Son, Jesus Christ, putting their faith in Him. As we respond this morning in song, may you help us to respond to your word. In Jesus' name, amen.